Good morning. Welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison and I've got Nomi Smith, Chief Executive of Best for Britain with us here. Hello, Nomi. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not bad. And uh, you are destroying your European credentials in plain sight because you didn't watch Eurovision. Never do. Never do. Never do. Yeah, not a bug I've ever caught. No, no. This is why we lost the referendum. <laughs> Let's get into the stories that are going to matter this week. We've just woken up to this crazy story of Belarus diverting a Ryanair plane yeah. to arrest a dissident journalist. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko ordered MiG-29s to intercept a Ryanair plane on the pretext of a bomb threat, and the dissident journalist Roman Pratisevich was removed and arrested at Minsk airport. European leaders are meeting today to decide on sanctions. What's going on here? What, what do you expect to happen? Because the EU is used to dealing with, dealing with trade and criminal law. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it is like something out of a movie. You know, it, hmm. it doesn't feel real. I mean, it is, com- let, let's, you know, no hiding from the fact that this is outrageous and truly appalling. Um, And yesterday, uh, as the news broke, Ursula von der Leyen referenced it as a hijacking, which frankly Mm. it was. Um, And as you say, EU leaders are convening to consider what kind of punitive sanctions can be placed on Belarus. And we've had uh, Tom Tugendhat and Dominic Raab, you know, trying to make bullish noises from Britain too. Opposition leaders in Belarus say that Roman uh, Protasevich could actually face the death penalty. Um, And there are also reports that it wasn't just him. Um, His girlfriend and four Russian nationals were not on board the plane when it eventually left Belarus back to its uh, original destination of Vilnius. So um, deeply, deeply concerning. As you say, economic sanctions are the usual thing, but it does feel like this is absolutely one to watch and and to speak to some experts about because this feels like some, some, you know, pretty terrifying geopolitical shitstorm that could be brewing. I just can't believe it. I feel like I was turning on the telly and watching some kind of, you know, Hollywood movie, not something happening, you know, just a few hundred miles away uh, across the continent. Yeah, right on the right on the borders of Europe, uh, an actual instance of, of state air piracy, which we've, we've seldom seen. Rob, as you mentioned, said there'll be serious implications. Given that the UK has been performatively not cooperating with the EU, do you think this is going to be a different case, that there will be a kind of forced coordination? Because this is not really the kind of thing where you can say, we have a different perspective on this from our European friends. No, and nor should it be. And when we look at Best for Britain's sort of latest polling, uh, and for those of you that, that that follow us closely, when we relaunched last month, we had a, a huge bit of work out looking at a truly global UK and what that ought to mean. And the levels of support across levers, Conservative voters, new Conservative voters away from Labour, and of course Labour, Lib Dem, other voters, for the UK to work incredibly closely with the EU on matters of national and geopolitical security ranks incredibly high. You know, there is almost no opposition to that. So, um, you know, I, I often say this, but but genuinely the government would have absolutely nothing to lose um, and everything to gain by very close cooperation with the EU on this. A bit closer to home, and speaking of supervillains, Dominic Cummings is going before the Commons Health and Science Committee on Wednesday. He's Mm. finally turning up to a committee, big of him, as part of the COVID inquiry, or their COVID inquiry, their individual COVID inquiry, not the big one that's coming in a couple of years' time. Cummings has already been acting as his own warm-up man with a string of tweets on Saturday (laughs) night. 
when he should have been watching Eurovision too. He insisted that herd immunity was the plan, was always the plan, and it was changed only after ministers realised there'd be mass deaths and, quotes, an economic implosion. What, what are you expecting from this grandstanding appearance in front of the committee? Well, look, the round, as you say, seems to be over whether or not the government pursued a strategy of, of herd immunity or not. He says they did. And they are now spinning, no, 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 we didn't mean herd immunity in terms of everyone catching it and then having some resistance to it. We meant it in terms of getting people vaccinated. But that in and of itself just doesn't ring true when you think how far off vaccine development was at the start of 2020, which is the period he's talking about. But regardless of their strategy, if they even had one, what we know is that they did allow the virus to run rampant. Now, whether that was because they wanted us all to catch it, to have have some kind of immunity or not, who knows. But they did allow it to run rampant because they ignored the warnings from countless other countries. They failed to get test and trace working. In fact, they even scaled back testing. So, yes, their mishandling of of the uh, at the start of the pandemic was appalling and has led to at least tens of thousands of excess deaths if not many more and has meant that we've got one of the worst records in the world and did mean that we had to close down the economy very brutally and for far longer than we would have had to have done so if they'd acted sooner and that goes for each stage of last year not not just the beginning when Cummings was around now of course he himself has barely any, any credibility left in this space because he trashed his own credibility of course with his famous Barnard Castle trip and sort of subsequent twisting of the truth uh, around what that meant that just you know nobody ever really believed but i think the much bigger point for me and as for you know political animals listening to this is why are we having to rely on him Where on earth have the opposition parties been on criticising the government on its handling of coronavirus over the last year? Why hasn't the dog barked? Why is it Cummings of all bloody people having to lead the charge on this? And in terms of what to expect this week, well, I mean, look, how many cats are going to have to die this week for all the dead cats (laughs) that the government is going to have to throw our way? You haven't registered for Boris and Carrie's wedding list. Indeed. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they, they, you know, if if they threw that out on a Sunday night, what on earth are we going to get Wednesday morning ahead of of this committee? Who, Who only knows? It's, I mean, it is astonishing that this is happening, but Cummings has threatened to produce this kind of mystical key evidence at the committee. The gotcha. uh, yeah, and uh, it's been leaked over the weekend that he was missing Cobra meetings because he was concentrating on his overdue Shakespeare book to fund yeah. his divorce from Marina yeah. Wheeler. The counter-briefing from Johnson's crew is that they're trying to paint it simply as as disgruntled former employee. The feeling in number 10 is given how toxic he is with the public after Bernard Castle, we would be more concerned if, it came, if he came out supporting the government. Do you think that washes it or, or, or the or is it simply a case of, you know, you, you muddy the waters, make it look like a spat and, and uh, normal people just turn away in boredom and disgust? Yeah, yeah, almost certainly. I mean, I, I, as I said, he, it is annoying that, A, we're having to rely on this guy and B, that this guy has trashed his own credibility on it. Otherwise, I think these blows would be landed uh, much more forcefully than they're probably going to be. One fun aspect of this is that Cum- Cummings is going to be up before the committee, right before PMQs. So Johnson's going to have to field questions from Starmer immediately afterwards with, and we all know how diligent Boris Johnson is in his preparation and how well he performs under fire. Are you getting the popcorn in for that one? Do you think it might actually be quite good for Keir Starmer? Because he does he does need a good week, doesn't he? He does need a good week, and I, I very much hope so. And I just hope that his line writers uh, are able to kind of parallel process and be watching the the coming stuff unfold in real time and and giving him some good 
questions and cross-examination stuff that we know he's very very good at the the inconsistencies and the truths and really try and catch him out and uh, and humiliate him um on live tv for the lying lying liar that he is in more committee fun by the way uh, sunak is going to be appearing before the treasury committee green sill hearings on thursday which isn't being kind of ballyhooed too much, but could be quite tasty. Sunak was the recipient of David Cameron's text, of course, about the collapsed company. Cameron came out disastrously from his committee appearance with your John McCrudder cat on. What are you expecting yeah. from this? <laughs> well, I mean, we we say that Cameron came out with his, uh, you know, reputation trashed. I'm not sure how much it, you know, government committee hearings really cut through to the public. Mm. So I'm not sure that the public will have a particularly different view of of Cameron now, but obviously in and amongst those um, whose opinion he probably does care about, um, you know, his peers and others in the in the political sphere, then yes, it, it was trash. So Sunak will be concerned about that because, of course, his audience, if he's if he really is the ambitious young Turk that that we're all expecting him to be in terms of challenging colleagues for the the top job, as and when. Boris Johnson steps back from being leader of the Conservative Party, then, you know, he he will be wanting to come out of this with his reputation intact. Um, And I would imagine he is prepping incredibly hard for that. So, yeah, I mean, lots of popcorn shall be consumed this week, put it that way, by political animals. Meanwhile, outside of the Commons and the committee rooms, the Conservatives have been fanning the the row about Martin Bashir's interview with Princess Diana in 1995. Hardline conservatives seem to want to use the report, the Dyson report, to harm or worse uh, the BBC, to emasculate it and to reduce it in size. Over the weekend, the, the BBC's former head of news journalism, Tony Hall, kind of fell on his sword as head of the National Gallery. Uh, the papers have been glorying in the affair. Pretty Patel says the Charter Review is going to be very, very significant. Again, how do you see this developing this week? The Tory right have hated the BBC for as long as I've been alive. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, this is just, uh, you know, manna from heaven from the right of the Conservatives that want to stoke the culture war. And that's all this is, because <laughs> otherwise, it, you know, and and even even not despite it, it is just rank hypocrisy. And it's galling when you consider what Johnson did as a journalist, yet went on to become prime minister. You know, once again, it is one wolf for them and another for everybody else. And, you know, Ian Dunt did an amazing tweet on it last week. I commend you all to go and read what he's been saying about it. And I agree with him entirely. Yes, you can you can make mistakes and an organization can do something wrong. But what what is being done is it is being used wholly for political capital um, uh, and the and the, you know, the perceived popularity of the royals by those elements of the Conservative Party that would want to, to destroy the BBC. I mean, as you say, that the hypocrisy is incredible, and the elements, the individual elements of hypocrisy, are just absolutely priceless. Yeah. The idea of, of British newspapers complaining that someone would set up an interview on a pretext and then ask questions about something else. I mean, to get the it story. Just, they would memories are short. Memories are short. Absolutely, yeah. And the idea that uh, events 26 years ago with a cast of featuring a cast of characters who are, have either left the BBC or are dead should mm. be grounds to to change and violently interfere in the BBC right now. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I suspect that what makes it different now is that we've got an intake of MPs uh, on the on the Conservative Party who are zealots and, for the most part, it seems not very deep thinkers. There was a, a quote from a shadow minister in The Guardian over the, uh, a couple of days ago 
which was for some of the 2017 and 2019 take all this stuff about woke bias in the BBC as an article of faith. Yeah. It's a bit how it, it, they went on to say, it's a bit like how some Tories talk about the EU 10 or 15 years ago. It's like they've sensed an opportunity. Some of the newer MPs have seemingly swallowed the idea that if it wasn't for the BBC's Ramona conspiracy, the leave vote would have been 90%. So if you, if, if this is what your majority is made of, it's, it strikes me as, as a bit different from Margaret Thatcher bashing the BBC in the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, look, you, I agree with all of that and more. Again, I don't really feel the protection of the BBC coming from the opposition parties either. It just sort of seems to be yet more collateral damage in the in the culture war. It's a, it's a huge enough organisation to ride this out, but how many more blows uh, can we expect to be landed on it from those that wish it ill before actually it does fundamentally change and becomes, you know, a lesser news outlet that you know, loses its status um, as, you know, this world leading pioneer of, of journalism. So yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about this. And and I'm, I'm, you know, angry that those of us that disagree with how the culture war is being fought haven't rolled up our sleeves enough to head off a lot of this nonsense with the public. Well, the Labour Party has been every bit as guilty of seeing an opportunity to punch the BBC as a free hit, yeah. as a free way, a free way to stand up and look tough in front of the public. And eventually, when you when you kick something for long enough, it does start to collapse. Uh, Priti Patel is talking about an imposed external board with the method of selecting appointees yet to be chosen. You know, one of the key criticisms from self-defined progressives is that the BBC is some sort of state broadcaster mm. taking it. All, we know this is nonsense. We know this is rubbish. But will it always be rubbish if it's got an external board put together by Priti Patel and in Cabinet? Indeed. And, you know, you can only imagine uh, the kinds of people that, that will be successful uh, in, <laughs> in that well, appointment think- process. Again, to, to to paraphrase Ian and to take out some of Ian's uh, usual vocabulary, all the worst <laughs> people in the world were, were absolutely celebrating over the weekend. Exactly. And the the idea that the BBC is supposed to be taking morality lessons from Dan Wooten and the Daily Mail is just, it's you just know, a joke. Yeah. enraging, absolutely enraging. Okay, a couple more before we go. What's your angle on this Australia free trade offer then? It's, it, the plan is, what's been leaked is that Britain will be reducing tariffs to Australia over a period of 15 years down to zero. Is this really going to wipe out Scottish and Welsh hill farmers? It could have an incredibly detrimental impact on them. And I would urge everybody to go and read Nick von Westenholz's enormous Twitter thread uh, on this, where he was reacting to Dominic Lawson's Sunday Telegraph column, um, because he absolutely nails it, uh, albeit in about 40 tweets. So grab a cuppa before you sit down to read it. And of course, he's he's a trade expert at the National Farmers Union. And look, what's my view on this? Look, aside from all the horrific farming practices that, that Australian farmers employ that, that British and European ones don't, the lower food standards, the the devastating effect that this could have on British farmers. There are some bigger political points that I think everyone needs to be aware of. Firstly, this kind of deal will make a closer relationship with the EU in the future more difficult or less likely because of the lowering of these animal welfare and food safety standards and because of their need to protect the, the integrity of the single market. Secondly, it really isn't just about Australia. You know, everyone's sort of fixating on this, but it isn't. And and a total liberalisation in this deal effectively is going to set a precedent 
and at the very least could mean significant market access to other countries with huge agricultural clout like New Zealand and of course the USA and the long you know discussed issues of, of chlorinated chicken and hormone filled beef and all the rest of that and those future deals are, are in in the in the mix at the moment those could be done very very soon and if the Australia one gets done first then that's the precedent there so focusing just on the terms of the Australian deal means that you're 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 not looking at the detail of where we are with UK trade policy as a whole and what's on the horizon and what thin end of a wedge this might be. The Brexiters and the Liz Truss fanboys and girls are now saying, well, Brexit was all about cheap food and we need cheaper food. And, oh, aren't you awful, you metropolitan elites wanting to protect your lovely Welsh hillside reared organic meat aren't you awful think won't you think about the poor people that can't afford all of that and again absolute nonsense because only the Singapore and the USA currently pay less of their income on food than the UK so there there are huge amounts of other bigger political and and sort of geopolitical foreign policy elements to all of this than just the pretty, you know, disgusting details of Australian farming practices and what we would be beginning to import into the UK. Most people don't want their meat to have travelled thousands and thousands of miles. Yes, some of us eat New Zealand lamb and are used to buying it frozen, but most people don't like the concept of carcasses having sat on ships for a long time and covering sort of 10,000 odd miles to get to us. Most people do not like um, the farming practices that have long since been banned or never introduced in, in the UK and the EU. And, and most people do want to support a reduction in our carbon footprint. And again, how does all of this square with the so-called build back greener policy that, that Boris Johnson so desperately wants to be um, renowned for as he you know, leads us into COP26 at the end of this year. So there are many, many reasons uh, to be concerned about this, but they're not just limited to the Australia deal. It, it could be the start of something even more pernicious for the UK market as a whole. Finally, ending on something that at least might make you feel better about human beings. Marcus Rashford's child food poverty petition is going to be debated in Westminster Hall Mm. uh, in Parliament at last. Over a million people signed the petition calling for the government to expand free school meals and provide meals and activities during school holidays. Can you see much coming of this or is it just symbolic, do you think? Well, we know that, you know, millions of people signed the revoke article 50 stuff we had a million people march in favor of a second referendum we had a million people march against the iraq war numbers don't necessarily mean anything if they're the wrong numbers um if it's not the the core vote of the conservative party that they're most concerned with so i very much hope that it does um and i commend marcus rashford not just because he lends his name to this stuff but for those of you interested in dodgy donors and political donations and that whole world of who gives what, yesterday, of course, we had the Sunday Times 2021 rich list published. But with it, it also publishes the top giving list. You know, who are the philanthropists that are giving away the largest proportion of their wealth? Who was at number one? Marcus Rashford. 
Marcus yeah. Rashford was right up there. So he's not just putting his name to things. He's not just, you know, doing that celeb thing of, of you know, trying to align uh, his brand to something. He's putting his cold, hard cash and an enormous proportion of his wealth into food and food poverty and community charities. So to me, that suggests he's in this for the long haul. And whether or not this particular debate on 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 his petition leads to legislative change or not i think he's around for the long haul continuing to be a thorn in the side of this government and uh, all power to him yeah it was remarkable from the giving list to see uh, how little crossover there was on the giving list and the rich list indeed you know the top of the charts are very very different wonder why that might be um nomi thanks for joining us this morning and filling us in we'll see you soon on the podcast thank you for having me have a good week The Bunker is back tomorrow and every day from Monday to Thursday with our new Saturday edition for your weekend enjoyment. Don't forget our Patreon. We can get the show a day early without ads and beautiful merchandise too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget Dmitry Grozabinsky's fantastic explainer on the Australian trade deal, which came out over the weekend, which you can listen to now if you like. And also that tweet thread that Nomi mentioned. We'll put that up on our social media so you can follow it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. The audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.